Welcome to Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee, a podcast brought to you by the Tennessee Initiative for Perinatal Quality Care. TIPQC exists to improve health outcomes for mothers and infants in Tennessee through our quality collaborative that will identify opportunities to optimize maternal and infant outcomes across our state and is funded under a grant contract with the state of Tennessee. The Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee podcast is designed for medical professionals and for patients and families across the state. We will focus on all aspects of the perinatal period with special attention to reducing our maternal mortality rate. This podcast is brought to you through a cooperative agreement with the Alliance for Innovation on Maternal Health. Welcome to the Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee podcast brought to you by the Tennessee Initiative for Perinatal Quality Care. I am Danielle Tate, a maternal fetal medicine specialist and the maternal medical director of TIPQC. Joining us today is Kelly Carey, the chief executive officer for Ancora, Tennessee, formerly in slavery, Tennessee. Kelly recently joined two other panelists for a TIPQC webinar on human trafficking. We will have the link to the entire webinar in our show notes. We continue to have interest from our healthcare providers in this topic, and we wanted you back today, Kelly, to share more. Welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Happy to be here. Can you tell us more about your background? What made you interested in human trafficking and how you got into this work? Sure, happy to. So I have my master's in social work and I started out in this field about 11 years ago, working in the trafficking field in Ohio. And so most of my career took place throughout the state of Ohio. And I really got interested in the work when I started doing clinical services, trauma therapy with survivors of trauma, including survivors of human trafficking, sexual assault and childhood sexual abuse. And then I really moved on from there to provide victim advocacy, as well as focus on building holistic programs and services for survivors. And that one-on-one work with survivors really is what grew my passion and my commitment to working with survivors long-term. And I've really grown in my career. And now, you know, as a, as the CEO at Encora, Tennessee, I'm able to use all of that on-the-ground experience to really form our organization, our priorities, and really create that systemic change that we're hoping to see in the fight against human trafficking. Such a great journey and such amazing work that you're doing. Can you tell us exactly what is considered human trafficking and how prevalent it is in the state of Tennessee? Sure. So human trafficking is the exploitation of an individual for the purpose of sex or labor services. And under the law, what that means is that there needs to be elements of force, fraud, or coercion for the exploiter to use those tactics to keep a vulnerable person engaged in exploitation. And so that's under the law. One of those elements, the force, fraud, or coercion needs to take place. Um, And that's really the tactics, the means that a trafficker uses um, when exploiting a vulnerable individual. And what we often see is really that coercion is such a strong piece. It's always the undertone of um, of trafficking and exploitation, but we absolutely see the other three elements as well. And what I also like to share with people 
Although that's the legal definition and really what needs to take place from a legal perspective and what we need to have in our legislation and our laws to be able to combat trafficking, what I like to share for um, the common language for us to all to really understand what trafficking looks like is that trafficking really has three elements that it needs to flourish. And that would be a vulnerable individual, a trafficker, an exploiter, and then also a demand. So our society has to say that it's okay to traffic individuals, to exploit individuals for the purpose of cheap labor or sex. And if our society, if we didn't have a demand for those services, sexual services or labor services, then trafficking wouldn't exist. There wouldn't be a reason that an exploiter then would exploit a vulnerable individual. And then the second question that you asked about prevalence in Tennessee, I think it's so important that we understand that trafficking, we really are a young field. Um, especially compared to other similar fields such as domestic violence and sexual assault. So we're gathering data. Um, our data gets better every single year. But right now, we really don't have a lot of solid data that would say this is the prevalence in Tennessee. And the reason for that is because often victims are not self-identifying as trafficking victims. So there's not a mechanism to, to report. Um, and then also, we don't have this kind of common mechanism where everybody around the state is reporting to the same entity. We're getting better at our data collection efforts. Um, but what we do know is that trafficking is taking place in every zip code and every county in Tennessee. It's been reported in every zip code. So it's taking place in suburbs, in urban areas, in rural communities. And we know that because we're seeing that at Encora, Tennessee. We're serving individuals from all the 41 counties that we serve. We also work with partners in those other counties as well as our law enforcement partners. And there's been a report in every county. Um, and then also just to give some information about kind of what we see on the ground at Encora is that over the last year, we saw a 40% increase in our referrals to our services, which really shows that People are vulnerable, people are being trafficked, but it also shows that there's awareness and education and people are learning about our services. So they're reaching out for help, which is what we want. Wow, those statistics are staggering. Do you think the 40% increase is due to an increase in reporting or are you just seeing an increase in actual trafficking? I think it's both. I think that people are incredibly vulnerable to being trafficked. And so therefore, as we have people becoming more vulnerable, and we'll talk a little bit about what makes someone vulnerable um, a little bit later, then we're going to see those numbers increase. But I also think a lot of it is related to the awareness. I think that people have always been trafficked. It's just that we have awareness and education about our services. We're training frontline professionals and individuals in the community to recognize it. And so therefore, we're seeing an uptick in those referrals. Absolutely. And it sounds based on the definition that it doesn't necessarily have a face or look or maybe even an age or race to it, but are you seeing certain trends throughout the state when it comes to human trafficking? Sure. Um, so I think that it's important to know that trafficking takes place in the context of relationships. And so traffickers know their victims more often than not. They have some type of a relationship with them. 
And we see most often that traffickers really exploit individuals that they know through an intimate partner violence relationship, familial trafficking, family members trafficking, children, as well as individuals who are groomed online, in addition to really anybody that has any type of power dynamic with that individual, neighbors, landlords, friends, peers, community members. And so the trends that we see are that traffickers obviously have those relationships prior to the exploitation. Um, And then also we're definitely seeing with our data and what we know about victimization is that individuals that are underserved people of color, people in the LGBTQ plus community are absolutely at higher risk to being trafficked because of the vulnerabilities that we've discussed, in addition to really anyone that's experienced trauma. And so at Encora, what we see is that trafficking is often not the first victimization that somebody that's being referred to us for services has experienced in their life. Typically, they've experienced several traumas in their life and are coming to us at a place where really healing is going to be that long journey because of those complex traumas they've experienced, whether in childhood or in early adulthood, leading into um, prior to their exploitation. How might a healthcare worker or healthcare provider recognize a potential human trafficking victim or situation? What are some of the signs that we could look for in our interactions with patients? Healthcare workers are um, have an incredible opportunity to recognize individuals who are being trafficked. We have a lot of research that shows that trafficking victims frequent healthcare clinics and ERs multiple times throughout their exploitation. And so some of the ways that I think that healthcare workers can recognize signs of trafficking is first building that rapport and creating that trauma-informed safe space when working with a patient. I think that, you know, with the knowledge that I just shared that, you know, trafficking is taking place in the context of relationships and that they typically have some type of a um, possibly a trauma bond or relationship with the person that's exploiting them. I think it's critical for healthcare providers to build rapport and ask open-ended questions, you know, leave the, any type of bias um, at the door. And so I think some of the indicators that you might see in a healthcare setting that you wouldn't see in other settings that you want, might want to consider. Um, one is frequent visits to the ER or healthcare center. Um, Maybe an individual that's coming in and that's reporting unsafe work conditions or feeling uncomfortable or unsafe. Um, Youth who are accompanied by maybe a non-guardian adult or who have a history of running away. We also have individuals that are maybe coming in for frequent STIs, pregnancy tests, or vaginal trauma. And then also individuals who are experiencing mental health and substance abuse can be incredibly vulnerable to being trafficked. And so those are some of the things that I would encourage healthcare providers to look for. Often, I like to say that it's more about knowing the story and getting to know the person and listening than it is about a checklist. So those things are really important to be aware of, um, but not all of those things have to be present for it to be considered a trafficking victim. You mentioned trends across the state, but could you speak to 
any trends or variations that may be seen among the different subgroups that you see in your victims, such as race trends, age, background, anything that may further help us as providers identify and help the patients? So I think trends that I see across the state of Tennessee include the knowledge that trafficking looks different across all different communities, but there are similarities. Again, I've talked about trafficking taking place in the context of relationships. That's across sex trafficking, labor trafficking across the country. And really in Tennessee, trends that we're seeing mirror some of the things that we're seeing nationally, which is who is most impacted, which are disproportionately people who are underserved, such as people of color, as well as the LGBTQ plus community. One of the other trends that I see locally, but I also know is happening nationally and in other communities, is in our rural communities throughout Tennessee, we're seeing individuals that are being trafficked by family members and caregivers um, for the exchange of anything of value. And that exchange of anything of value can be Something that's valuable, such as being able to pay the rent, being able to purchase drugs, being able to have monetary needs met. In addition to, I think it's important to understand that often trafficking can have a look of generational impact that many survivors might not understand that trafficking has taken place or have the language to describe that. So I hope that gives a little bit of insight on what we're seeing, but I also want to zoom out and make sure that healthcare providers see that it takes place across every socioeconomic status, traffickers to be male, female, any gender identity. And so I think it's important that we understand the vulnerabilities that take place and who can be the traffickers so that we have our eyes opened when working with patients. I'll tell you, this conversation is so eye-opening for me and the information that you're sharing with us today, because oftentimes we as healthcare providers may mix the message or miss the signs because we may think the person is misusing this hospital system or the healthcare system, or it's just someone who is anxious or someone who uh, just may be attention-seeking, but now understanding more of how these things can fit into trafficking is going to help us, very eye-opening to show us how to better approach these situations, even if just an evaluation to make sure that nothing is going on with the patient. And speaking in that um, lane, can you give us any suggestions of questions that we may be able to ask to open the conversation that are appropriate and won't offend the patient who isn't being trafficked, but also won't scare away the patient who is? offer a couple of questions that I think could be helpful. I think that creating that trauma-informed environment is so important, and it can be even more helpful than any type of checklist or specific questions that you could ask because you're creating safety and non-judgment. You know, some of the things you just mentioned is so, so important um, when talking with a patient. One question I find to be helpful would be saying something like, I've noticed blank, whatever the risk factor is, maybe multiple visits to the ER or maybe multiple STIs and saying, you don't have to share more details, but I'd be happy to connect you with resources. That's one way that you can say, this is what I'm noticing. Could I help you 
connect with resources and allowing them to know that it's okay if they don't want to sh- share the details of their trauma at that moment when you're just having that, those initial conversations. Another question I would say that's really helpful is talking to patients and saying, you know, I educate a lot of patients on violence because I care about their safety and well-being. Is there any way I can make you feel more safe or are there any resources that I can connect you with? And then connecting those individuals with advocates such as people from Encora, who this is their expertise that can really have those trauma-informed conversations and talk to somebody about how we can provide services to them in the community. Those are great openers. And I do believe ways that we as healthcare providers can feel comfortable starting that conversation. So thank you for sharing. You just mentioned trauma-informed conversations with victims. Can you tell us more about that line of questioning or conversation? Absolutely. I think trauma-informed conversations are so important because it helps create that safe environment that's non-invasive. So when a patient's coming into the hospital, oftentimes, obviously, they're coming in and it's a heightened state that they might be in. And that's a really scary place to be. So just recognizing that they might not be in a place where they're wanting to share their deepest and darkest or what's happening in their life at that initial moment. I think it's important to have conversations to build rapport. First and foremost, meeting their physical needs. That Maslow's hierarchy of needs is so important to keep in mind. So can we offer water or food or clothing, making sure the person is comfortable, ensuring that there's privacy and safety. So if somebody is accompanying the individual, and even if you think that person's a safe individual or you're unsure, you know, asking if the person would like to speak in private, I think is so important. And not just assuming that they are comfortable with the individual that maybe they came in with to the healthcare setting. I think reserving any judgments Um, As we know, there's a lot of intersection with trafficking and substance abuse and mental health. And I think a lot of times um, we can create a trauma-informed environment and have those conversations when we're truly asking open-ended questions um, and reserving any, any type of bias. And then last, I would say not expecting logical narratives. So oftentimes with trauma and how that impacts our brain, When a survivor is sharing or disclosing anything that's happened, if we're expecting A plus B equals C and kind of that logical narrative of what took place, that's not often what happens. And that's really not even possible um, because of the trauma that somebody has experienced. Um, And then last, I would just mention, and I think this is so important, is self-determination. I tell a lot of people that we really need to respect, especially with our adult survivors, that we need to respect their self-determination of, do they want services? Do they want help? Are they ready and to have some of these conversations and really respecting what they would like in the moment and then meeting them where they are and meeting their needs? I do think that is so, so important to make sure they're ready for that step or even the conversation and not force it on them. I can imagine that may be even more traumatizing or may create an even more traumatizing situation for them if we don't handle it appropriately. Um, Moving on to talk a little bit more about the healthcare worker. What should we as healthcare workers do if we suspect that there is a patient or a person in front of us that is a victim of human trafficking? 
great question. And I think that's one of the most important questions that you can ask because we don't all have to be experts on everything or trafficking, but we really sometimes just need to know who is the right person to call in this moment and how to get that person the help that they need. And so if a healthcare worker is suspecting trafficking, a couple of things that you can do. One is know that we have a human trafficking hotline in the state of Tennessee. And I can put that number in the show notes if that would be helpful so that you can call that 24-7 number. And that will be Uh, sent to law enforcement, but also victim services. And so that will also be funneled to victim service providers such as Encora, Tennessee, within the 41 counties of Middle Tennessee. And then we have two other organizations that would respond in East and West Tennessee. So the Tennessee Human Trafficking Hotline is a fantastic resource. The second thing I would say is you can call the service provider that is in your area that this is their expertise. So in Cora, we have staff that respond to hospitals at any hour, any daytime, um, any time of the day, and we can come and support hospital workers by providing advocacy, basic needs, connecting the individual with resources. So I would say those two numbers, knowing the service provider that's in your region and then calling the Tennessee Human Trafficking Hotline is so, so important. And then also knowing that if it's a child and this is an individual you feel like is being exploited under the age of 18, of course, you're going to want to fulfill your mandated report. And you can do that through the hotline and then also calling DCS as well. Hey, great. And I just thank you for sharing that information with us. I do say that I deal with pregnant women on a daily basis and I can shamefully say I was not aware of the resource in those two numbers. And I just want to reiterate that every region has resources so that those um, areas, even in the bigger cities and the smaller cities of the state, don't feel as if they are without any sort of resource to encore. So that is great news. And we will definitely make sure those resources are in the show notes. Now, when we speak of healthcare systems, if there's a system that doesn't have a protocol or response plan in place when a patient is identified as a victim of human trafficking, can you give us any sort of pointers or pearls of wisdom that would help that healthcare setting to provide the perfect plan for the patient or even to set up a protocol or plan in the anticipation that they may encounter a victim of healthcare, excuse me, a victim of human trafficking? Yes, that's a great question. And I think that's so important. What I would do to start is talk with the folks that are in your healthcare system to see what's already being done. So make sure that you understand what education has already taken place around human trafficking and is there a protocol that's in place? Because sometimes that doesn't trickle throughout the entire healthcare system. And if it hasn't, how do we ensure that everyone has access to that information and that protocol? And then I think the next step would be really reaching out to the organizations that I mentioned, which is TBI, as well as the Tennessee Counter Trafficking Alliance, which Encora is a part of. And we can be a huge support in creating a protocol. We've already helped a lot of other healthcare systems create protocols and ensuring that the education is there first. So that foundation of what is trafficking? How do you identify? How do you have trauma-informed conversations? A lot of the conversations we're having in this podcast, we can offer further training, do a little bit more of a deep dive. And then next, how do you create a protocol? So 
what types of questions will you ask patients? And then what resources will you connect them with in the community? And I think that's the most important thing is that we're connecting individuals to those long-term resources and knowing who to call in those moments. And so we usually recommend, of course, like I mentioned, the Tennessee Human Trafficking Hotline, and then reaching out to the Tennessee Counter-Trafficking Alliance and those three organizations it's Restore Core in West Tennessee and Cora Tennessee in Middle Tennessee and Grow Free in East Tennessee. And I can put the Tennessee Counter Trafficking Alliance, all of their contact information in the show notes as well. Perfect. That would be an amazing resource for all of us to have and to know that the support in these different organizations are gathered across the state is a great um, resource to have in our back pockets as well in case we encounter that situation. Uh, For the patient who may not be quite ready for the help, but you recognize or they disclose that they are a victim, are there ways that we can, in the situation, in the moment, get the resource, the connection information to them safely without putting them in danger if they take home a card or a piece of paper that may be found? Yes, I think giving materials is always great because people can think about it and have that information with them when they are ready to make that phone call. I also think it's really about what the patient says that they want and what would make them feel most safe. So just asking the question of, is it okay to give this to you? Would you like this to uh, stay with you in your bag, your purse, your pocket, whatever it is that you're talking to them about. I think just asking the question is the most crucial thing and then allowing them to have that self-determination of, yes, I'd like to take that resource with me or, hey, I'd like to put it in my phone and then I don't need that card. Whatever is most comfortable for the patient, I would just honor whatever they say they would like in that moment. You mentioned training opportunities for organizations, practices, hospital systems? Is that something that's provided locally in person or would it be a virtual option or can it be tailored to the needs of the system depending on where they sit in the state and the victims they may see? Yes, we offer both in-person and virtual training. So in Cora, Tennessee, we offer training across the state of Tennessee. We offer the training in person in Middle Tennessee, and then our community partners in West and East also offer training in person as well as virtually. And then TBI, which is the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation, who really is taking the lead on overseeing a lot of the trafficking efforts at the state level, they also come alongside and and partner with us. They do training with us. They do training on their own, and they will go into the hospital systems in person as well as virtually. So there's a host of options. I would just encourage you to please reach out and we'll do whatever is best for your hospital or healthcare system. And if there are providers who feel a passion or feel drawn to this area of healthcare, just as you have been and so graciously have lent your expertise to the state of Tennessee, we do appreciate that. Is there a way for healthcare providers to get more involved in the human trafficking efforts to end human trafficking, I should say, as part of the organized efforts within the state. Yes, we always welcome healthcare workers and expertise from the medical profession is so, so important and crucial. Um, I work with a lot of individuals that are working in 
the same units of hospitals, um, as well as other um, specific places that really lend their expertise to us to inform a lot of these protocols and training. So they can reach out to me directly. They can reach out to anyone from the Tennessee Counter Trafficking Alliance. We also have a lot of regional groups that do wonderful work around trafficking um, that you can get involved in. So regional multidisciplinary teams. We have some great groups um, that I'm a part of in the Nashville area, and we have healthcare representatives. So if you'd like to get involved further, or you'd like to learn how you can lend your expertise, please reach out and I'll get you connected to anybody in your region. You've mentioned many wonderful resources across the state. Are there any other resources locally, regionally, statewide, nationally that we should know about that could help us in the efforts with ending human trafficking, starting with one patient at a time? Yes. So in Tennessee, the resources I've already mentioned several times, I'm going to list out the Tennessee Human Trafficking hotline number. It's one 855 5586-84. And then you can visit Encora at our website at encoratn.org to look for more resources. You can learn about what we're doing. We also have a page dedicated to legislative priorities and laws that are being passed in human trafficking across the state of Tennessee. And then at the national level, we have some great organizations that's, that specialize in working with human trafficking in healthcare settings. HEAL Trafficking, H-E-A-L, Trafficking is a great resource. They provide wonderful protocols and templates about how to offer trauma-informed care and, and um, offer that, that safe place for patients. And then also, I always like to recommend NICMIC, um, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. They have a wonderful bank of resources if you're looking for a specific focus on youth. Thank you so much. Well, as we close, I will yield the floor to you if you would like to provide us with any more valuable information, anything that you feel us, healthcare workers, healthcare providers, we need to know or should do as far as how we practice and manage patients going forward, please share. I'll just end with saying thank you to all of the healthcare providers and what you do every day. You play such a significant role in working with vulnerable individuals, and I'm so grateful that we have you. You are a frontline professional. You are somebody that will see and will encounter survivors of trafficking, and I'm just grateful that you're taking the time to learn about the resources so that we can better serve survivors because that's what we all want. And so grateful to be in this fight with you. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you so much for joining us today to share your expertise, spending your time with us to help us gain knowledge and be that much better as healthcare providers as we care for the patients of Tennessee. We really appreciate the work you do and all that you're doing. And thank you again for your time today. You can find information about Encore Tennis, including how to contact our guests and other resources in the show notes of today's podcast. Stay tuned as TQC will continue to feature podcasts on support of the perinatal patient. Join us next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee, presented by TipQC. TipQC is funded under a grant contract with the state of Tennessee. Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee is brought to you through a cooperative agreement with the Alliance for Innovation on Maternal Health. 
Do you have ideas for a future guest or topic, or even have a question you would like answered on upcoming episodes? Visit www.tipqc.org, that's T-I-P-Q-C.org, and click on podcast to submit suggestions and questions to our podcast team. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast to be the first to know when new episodes are available and find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube to stay in the loop with our active projects and other relevant news relating to perinatal health in Tennessee.